Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. You know, when we're believing God for an adventure, when we're believing God for the fulfillment of what He's written upon our lives, what we get in our mind's eye is a destination. You get in your mind's eye the place where you want to be. It's, it's the horizon of your life. It's, it's what you think you're going to achieve. And um, one of the things that I like to uh, look at in, is, is sort of, you know, we all have time-wasting moments on our telephones. Um, we were actually talking, we, we were talking the other day. I reckon you could probably, so people today could probably save at least 10 hours a week just by not doing Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. And I, we were talking about this. I think we should have like maybe a seven, maybe a 30 day. I was said seven days and Miriam goes, she just looks at me like I'm some kind of backslider and said, <laughs> should at least 30 days. And uh, we should do it. We should have a phone fast month where the church, where we, we just join together and we make it an adventure rather than just like punishing ourselves by not going. But not that we would not do Instagram, Facebook, etc. But we just wouldn't do it every day. Maybe just once a week or something where you just log in and tell the world what you've been doing. And instead of spending all that time on the phone, read a book, create an adventure, do something and tell the world, have, talk to someone. <laughs> Have conversation, have food with someone instead of on your own, locked in your world of your own space. And, and, um, but uh, one of the things that I do to waste time is, um, is rather than going on Facebook, I, I go on ASPC, the, uh, how's it? I just like, I'm nosy, I like looking at other people's houses, and, and I type in all kinds of variations. And, and one of the things that I've noticed is that when you find a property that has a view, the property dramatically increases in price. And so what happens is it doesn't matter how average the house is. It could be just a little uh, one-bedroom flat. It might even not have a bedroom. <laughs> it is, but if it's got a view, it's got value. And it's extraordinary how you look around and you'll see properties and it says, with outstanding view, suddenly it becomes desirable. Suddenly a property that's got nothing going for it has suddenly got something where people want to live. One of the things that I discovered about the previous owners of the property that we live in, it was not the ones we bought it from, but the ones before that, they, when they lived in the house, they used to have a view of Benahi. Now, I'm struggling to see how that ever was because I didn't know you could see Benahi from our house. But apparently from the kitchen window, you used to see Benahi. But what happened is their neighbors, was, it was fields and someone built a house right in front of the view. And so um, I'm looking at it, I'm thinking to myself, well, I don't know how you can see Benahi. I mean, you can see it if you go down the hill, around the corner, away from the trees. But So I walked down the lane a little bit to where we have neighbors building a house. And he was telling me, the guy who's building a house is telling me, oh, we've got a great view of Benahee. And I'm thinking, I've never seen Benahee from standing here. 
And he, and he, he pulled me over to where the, the house, he's got, he's got the foundations in, and I'm standing there with him, and we're talking. And if you peer really carefully above the tree, you can just see this tiny little view of, of Benahi. And, and what I realized was that the people who had owned my house had sold the house because they lost that pathetic little thing that you could just see. It's extraordinary. They were like, well, we don't want to live here anymore. It hasn't got a view. <laughs> and all, it's amazing what people will do to get some horizon on their life, to be able to see just a little bit further, to be able to know where it is they can go. And, you know, this reminds me in Joshua, um, Joshua chapter 7, how important it is to keep our destination, our horizon in mind, to understand how important it is that we can get a hold uh, of where it is that we are going. Now, in Joshua chapter 7, we're going to read from verse 2, and this is a story of Joshua taking over or trying to take over Ai. Now, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and told them, go up and scout the land. So the men went up and scouted Ai. After returning to Joshua, they reported him, don't to him, send all, don't send all the people, but send about two to 3,000 men to attack Ai. Since the people of Ai are so few, don't wear out all our people there. So about 3,000 men went up, but they fled from the men of Ai. The men of Ai struck down about 36 of them and chased them from outside of the gate to the quarry, striking them down on the descent. As a result, the people's hearts melted and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell before the ark of the Lord with his face to the ground until evening, as did the elders of Israel as they put dust on their heads. Oh, Lord God, Joshua said, why did you ever bring these people across the Jordan to hand us over to the Amorites for our destruction? If only we had been content to remain on the other side of the Jordan. Now, we know why, if we know the end of the story, if you don't know the end of the story, that's good, I'll keep you hanging on. But we know why that AI fell, but if you take that out of the equation, the loss of AI, even so, is still a puzzle. The men of AI are few, and Joshua has sent 3,000 men to go up and take the place and take them. Now, in the resulting battle, they lost 36 men. Now, I'm not a great battle strategist. I've read a few books about war. I don't reckon 36 is a lot of men to lose. I mean, I'm sure the men who were losing their life felt it was. But, <laughs> but in a battle of 3,000 men, 36 doesn't sound like they've all been slaughtered. But it says that the men of Ai came out of Atactum and they ran away. These men weren't killed and then they ran away. They were killed running away. So the children of Israel lost the battle even before it even started. And they lost it because they had misunderstood how they were going to possess. They had not understood 
that the horizon that they were looking at is different when you get there. When you have a perspective of a, the problem with horizons or the vision of your future is that it's seen from a distance. And when you get there, it's different. So you've got to understand, when they got to this place of possession, they didn't understand what they were really dealing with. And their hearts hearts melted because, let's face it, up till now, God had promised them a land flowing of milk and honey. They'd had this prophetic word, God told me we're going to take the land. And if, we're going to, if God is for us, then no one can be against us. We all say that, don't we? We go, if God's for us, if God said we can do it, then we'll just do it. And God's with us and we will succeed. We can't fail because God's with us. I hear a lot of Christians talking about that. I see a lot of Christians fail too. And so here they are. They're saying, if God is with us, and not only do we understand that they had misunderstood what was really going on, but they had with them the evidence that God was with them. After all, they haven't had to fight anyone at this point. They've just taken Jericho. Well, how do you take Jericho? Well, they walked around a bit, shouted a bit, and all the walls fell down. (laughs) So they have this track record, God's with us, how easy can it be? If God's with us, then it's easy. And the thing is, God does make some things really easy. We just walk in, possess the land and go, whoa, this is how it's going to be. Well, I've got news for you. It isn't always like that. Sometimes you've got to fight for it. And here's the problem. They hadn't fought anyone for anything. They just walked in, taken over, and suddenly now they've got to stand up and be counted. And they hadn't taken that into the equation. They didn't understand what the fight was really all about. And so what happens with our lives is that we have to get an idea that the perspective of our horizon changes the moment we step into it. The moment you step into your horizon, it changes. And it changes because you're in it. The moment your life enters the place where you want to possess, your presence changes everything that's going on around it. And so it's no longer just the case of you turning up and God giving it to you. You see, we have to understand that we are imperfect people that have the ability to screw up a perfect plan. God had created for them a perfect plan. He had promised them the land. His plan was perfect. They were imperfect. An imperfect person walking into a perfect plan will ruin it. Here's the thing that really amazes me about this story. It's Joshua's reply. Oh, God. Why? Why did you even let us cross the Jordan? As far as Joshua's concerned. He's had, he's had 36 men die, and he's even questioning the value of why they even possess the land in the first place. He's prepared to throw away the whole jolly thing. 
one small disaster and he wants to walk away from it. He's going, God, why? Why did you let us down? Why lead us over the Jordan? If you're just going to walk, oh, just walk away from us like this, we've been defeated. This is terrible. This is a dishonor to your name. How foolish do we look? We can't do this anymore. We've been destroyed. He's putting dust all over his head. He's ripping his clothes. He's weaving snots pouring out of his nose. It's the the end of the world for him. And it's the end of the world because it didn't work out as he thought it did. He kind of lost. He'd assumed that he pursued the wrong path because the results he's experiencing at that moment were not what he expected. Here's the thing with your life. The moment something goes wrong, people go, oh, well, well, God... God can't be in this then. We've made a terrible mistake. Oh, let's take a step back from that equation, shall we? How did you get to that point? How did you get to the point where it went wrong? Was God with you up to that point? I'm pretty sure he was, otherwise you wouldn't have been standing there. You with me? When it went wrong, up up to the point that it went wrong, you were happy. You were going with God, you were happy. And while you were happy, you had testimony that God was with you. You had evidence that God was with you. Joshua had evidence that God was with him. He'd already crossed the Jordan, he'd already taken Jericho. He'd had the most extraordinary miracle in the history of battle warfare. No one had ever seen anything like it. They had defeated them with trumpets. Like a Rizzle Kick song, isn't it? <laughs> <It's> a <laughs> now everyone is going, Rizzle, Rizzle who? Check him out, great band. Anyway, so, <laughs> so what happened is God had been with them right up to that point. He had been with them. So if God was with them, then the problem wasn't with God then the horizon that they were being led, if God has led you to this point, and at this point your life is beginning to fall over, then the problem is not with the horizon that you were looking at. If you're believing God for something, and then to come to the point when you're believing God, and at that point things begin to fall apart, and God had led you up to that point and now it's falling apart, I can assure you there's nothing wrong with the dream. Because if there was something wrong with that dream, God wouldn't have led you to that point. You wouldn't have got off the starting block. We've been in this ministry now, as you know, we celebrated 20 years in March. God has been with us for 20 years. He's led us here For 20 years. I'm pretty sure God's with us. I've seen people launch out in things that God is not with. And I reckon that by human endeavor, determination, pig-headedness and pride, you can go between a year and three years working it out yourself. By which point you will realize you screwed up. (laughs) Alright, between a year and three years, you can really screw your life up. Right? It's just a thing. It's right. It's not in the Bible, by the way. It's not, 
It's not a doctrine or a theology. You might work it out after six months or something. Let's hope you do. Uh, but some people just go, God's called me to do this. And you're like, and, you know, and three years later, it's like, come on then, cry on my shoulder. <laughs> They're there. <laughs> let's try again, shall we? But let's get God in the factor. And so we know that in the course of our life, we can make mistakes. But here's the thing about the horizon. The journey you take to, to that horizon, God is always leading you. Children of Israel made some mistakes in the desert. It meant they were on a 40-year detour, but they're still on the way to the horizon because God promised it to them. Here's the next point. It doesn't matter if you screw up, actually. It doesn't matter if you've made mistakes. Because the horizon that God has promised is the horizon that He's leading you toward. It might take you a little bit longer, but you'll still get there. You'll still get there. Caleb and Joshua were 40 years of age, and then when they're 80 years of age, they're walking in and possessing the land. So here they are at 80 years of age. It took them an extra 40 years, but they still got there. You've got to understand, it doesn't matter if you make mistakes. So it's not the problem with the destination. It's not even a problem with some of the decisions you've made along the way to get there. Because sometimes when you come to a junction in your life and you go, shall I go left or shall I go right? And God is saying, I think you should go left, but you go right. That's the other way around it, by the way, isn't it? Notice that my hands, I was doing it on your behalf because this is the... I said to a man, this is a detour, brother, it's got nothing to do with the message. This guy, I was going for a walk with uh, Boaz and I were on a bike ride and this guy turned up, can you tell me where North Lodge is? Now, North Lodge is, was just down the lane on the right. <laughs> and I'm going to him, look, just keep going down this lane through the farm. Just keep going through the farm and it's on the left. <laughs> and then as you drive away, I went to Boaz. I went to Boaz. I just said left, didn't I? I'm sure he'll work it out. He's got to... <laughs> I'm kind of dyspraxic. I don't know whether my left and right side. Anyway, you come to a junction in your life, and in that junction, you go left, and God said right, or the other way around. It doesn't matter which way. There was a sense there was a good way, and there was a bad way. Well, you know what happens. God will lead you back onto the path. It just might take you a little bit longer. So we have to understand that God does lead us. So what was the problem with the children of Israel? Where was their defeat if it wasn't necessary, even their strategy? Joshua's strategy of 3,000 men, maybe it wasn't the best strategy, but it didn't necessarily mean they had to be defeated. Clearly, there is something else going on in this picture that helps us to understand, because here's the thing about horizons. You can see horizon when you're standing on the hill, but on the journey towards that hill, sometimes you're in the valley and you can't see it anymore. And when you can't see it, doesn't mean to say it's not there, just because you can't see it. You're just in the wrong place to see it, but you're actually closer to it in the valley than you were on the hill. And so sometimes you're going through valleys in your life, 
and you can't see the promises of God, you can't feel because in the valley, all you're faced with is the hills, the trees, the, the houses, the things that are hindrances to you, and you're seeing those things, and you have to deal with those things, and that's the things you have to deal with. Sometimes you've got to forget about the ultimate destination and just deal with the now. But the destination is never taken away from you. See, God's promise on your life is never taken away from you. We've got to understand that God wants us to come to a point where we learn how to journey with Him, keeping our eyes on what He has promised. He is with you up to this point. I spoke this a few months ago. In fact, it could have been last year. God got you here. He will get you there. He got you to this point. He's going to get you to the next point. But we're going to learn we are not robots following a computer program. We're people who know how to screw up. And our ability to get to the horizon and get to where God has promised is for us to recognize the weakness that's going on in our own heart and see what causes the problem. Joshua, he puts the blame back on God. God, why? It's always a good place to start, isn't it? God, why? Why, God, why? And God goes, well, I'll tell you why. (laughs) And it's nothing to do with me. I didn't cause this problem. Do you know what? Sometimes there are issues in our heart. You see, what stopped the children of Israel wasn't strategy, It wasn't even bad decisions, and it certainly wasn't the vision. It was the condition of the heart. The condition of your heart is the very thing. And in fact, I would say the only thing that will stop you from possessing where God is calling you to go. The the position of your heart, the attitude of your heart, what you carry in your heart. Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. We didn't read that. Let me show this to you. The Israelites, however, were unfaithful regarding the things set apart for destruction. Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah. They really want you to know who he was. (laughs) Some people barely get a mention. They've got great faith. This guy is getting a hammering. We want to know exactly who he is. Of the tribe of Judah took some of what was set apart And the Lord's anger burned against the Israelites. You see, Achan took with him things which God had said should have been destroyed. These things were hidden and for the most part unknown. We carry in our heart hidden things that are unknown. The unknown things, the things which in your, your heart you know, nobody else knows. They're in your heart. But God had said, you can't take that with you if you want to get to there. The two won't mix. We can't take the old into the new. We can't take our old life into our new life. There are things which you have to leave behind if you want to possess the promises that God has got for you. There are attitudes of the heart. We have to deal with the issues of the hidden things of the heart if we're going to possess what God has got for us. And so what happens is that 
we tend to hide things in our heart. And what you hide in your heart will ruin what you believe with your heart. There are things which you believe with your heart. You believed it with all of your heart. But you carried things in your heart that you hid. And it wasn't out there. It wasn't God. It wasn't some of the weaker decisions you made. It wasn't any of those things. It's the heart that causes us to stumble. What happened to the children of Israel? What happened to them? Their Their hearts melted like water. That's an extraordinary description. How did their hearts melt like water? They've been promised the land. They're the great warriors. The moment they see a load of people running at them, their hearts melted. Why? Because their heart wasn't in an unhealthy condition. It was an unhealthy. The moment your heart is in an unhealthy condition, if your heart is in an unhealthy condition... The moment you face a problem, your heart melts like water and you want to run away. You want to run away. Here's the thing. Let me just speak some of these things out. This is, hold on to yourself, right? Because this is quite direct. You can't hide pornography in your heart and carry it with you to the horizon of true love. Let me tell you that. You can't hide pornography in your heart and carry it with you to the horizon of true love. Some people are believing God for a girlfriend or a husband and you've got things going on in your heart that nobody else knows about. You can't carry it with you. The two don't mix. You can't hide addictions in your heart and carry it with you to the horizon of true liberty. The two don't mix. You've, You've got to face up to what you hide in your heart. You can't hide bitterness in your heart and carry it with you to the horizon of true friendship. You've got to let stuff go. You can't hide unbelief in your heart and carry it with you to the horizon of true faith. One of the things that I want to say on all of those issues, and I just kind of felt that some of the, these are some of the issues, and I know that we've spoken about pornography and that before. I believe that, the, that society is facing a... Um, society is facing a, a disease of destruction of hearts and lives through pornography. It is destroying men and women. It's destroying people's lives. It's destroying marriages. It's destroying people's ability to see and perceive and how to have relationships. And we've got to wage a war against it. Here's the thing. Some of you are sitting in your seats and you're nodding and you're, and you're, you're with you and we're all together. But here's the thing. A lot of people are caught up in it. A lot of people. And we've got to understand it's an issue of the heart which has to be brought out and given to God. Here's the thing with everything we hide in the heart. We've got to learn how to bring it into a place of repentance. Unbelief in your heart. It is extraordinary how many people, if they suffer a situation that causes them to doubt they will settle with an unbelief and carry that as a stronghold, a secret hidden stronghold. And they carry on in church and they're worshipping and they're saying yes and amen in all the right places, but they've got this secret thing. And that secret thing will stop them from actually entering in to what it was that God, because the moment 
you need to exercise true faith. That unbelief that you packaged up in your heart and put into a special place will reveal itself and trump any faith that you could have had. And so the only way is to come back into a place of repentance. I wrote on um, Facebook um, that repentance is the greatest highway to grace. It is the greatest uh, avenue, in fact, I think I wrote. Repentance is the greatest avenue to grace. It is the quickest way in which we can possess. Now, when Jesus came, it says of Jesus' ministry, as it's starting in, in, in Matthew chapter 4, and verse 17. This is, this is what it says of Jesus. Then Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, check this out. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near, or is at hand. Jesus is saying to them, the horizon that you're believing for, keep that scripture on the wall, the horizon you are believing for is near you now. So let's deal with all the things that disqualify us from entering into it. Let's repent. Let's just deal with all of it. Let's just clean it out of the way. Because the horizon belongs to you. The promise belongs to you. God hasn't changed his mind about what belongs to you. He hasn't changed his mind about what you should be entering into. He hasn't changed his mind about the things that you um, are called to. He hasn't said anything less about you, even if you have carried in your heart all kinds of hidden things that you dare not tell a soul about. It doesn't matter if you've If you haven't told anyone, it doesn't matter if you haven't. God still hasn't changed his mind, even though you haven't even repented. He still hasn't changed his mind about you. But for you to possess them, the only way to possess them is to come back and say, God, I'm just sorry. Repentance sweeps away. Sorry, repentance is the way, it is the jet wash that cleans out the garbage that stops us from entering in. God does not want you to take the old into the new. He doesn't want you to carry on with the same problems, the same trials, the same troubles inherited and brought in and living the life that God promised you. He wants you to start fresh. The Bible says that we have been made new creations. Behold, old things have passed away. Old weaknesses, old attitudes, old hurts, old bitterness, old offences passed away. Here's the deal for your life. Grace is so extraordinary. Because the moment we come before God and say, God, I'm sorry, a tidal wave of His love and grace washes you clean and you step into the place. All the children of Israel had to do was repent and deal with those issues. AI became easy after that. It always was easy. AI always was easy. It was just the heart stopped them. We're going to possess the things that God has called us. Let's make sure that we repent in our heart. It's not popular to talk of repentance because we just like talking about grace. But without repentance... 
there's no access to grace. Grace is found at the end of a prayer of humility. God, I'm just really sorry. Here's the deal with sorry. It is one more nail in the coffin of Satan's plan for your life. Every sorry is another nail in the coffin of Satan's plan for your life. He wants to lead you into weakness and destruction. He wants you to fail. But God has ordained you to succeed. God knows you are weak. The Bible said, let the weak say, I am strong. Let the weak possess those things. There are no heroes here. There are no legends. We're just make-do people. We're a ramshackle crowd of weakness that God has ordained and said is awesome. His grace is more than sufficient to carry us through. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.thejunctionchurch.com. God bless.